Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen media empire. Hey, guys. This is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi. This is David L.G. Hughes. Writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm J.J. Amanu, the writer-director of Aviation. Hi, I'm Brando Benetton, director of Nightfire. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hi, this is James Cullen Brussack, the writer, director, and producer. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stewart. Page the screen dot com up in my bug piece. Snitch, yeah, that's my motorcycle running and tracking up with my fucking snitch, genius, with Dom, Eat Pizza, and Christmas. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Rogue Warrior and the Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The from page to screen. Hello. Hello, how the heck are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I am all right. I'm doing that horrible thing that I do to you. I'm bringing in another movie geek. <sighs> um, all we're going to do is chat movies. So uh, we are, I am expecting somebody else to join, but he's he's probably building spaceships or something elsewhere. So how are you, Adam? I'm okay. How are you? I'm all right. So where are you calling from? Don't say a computer because that's the smart arse answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling from uh, Bailden in Bradford, West Yorkshire. There you go. So we've got West Yorkshire, Lancashire, which I'm from, even though I've got a bit of a Scottish accent. And we have Mr. Robert Dyer, who's from the... Is it? It's not sunny now, is it? Because it's night time, is it? North Wales. Yeah, North Wales. Uh, I, I think we're, we're due to get some bad weather, but at the moment, I can still see the sea. Does bad weather really count, though? Because we don't leave our houses, do we? I don't know. See it through the window. Well, you know, it, it, it can get a bit uh, touch and go when you have to take the bins out. Yeah, so it's only every two weeks, though, I take the bin. Well, to be fair, uh, we do take them out every week. So I have now, uh, I've now completed my task of putting a six-foot-by-nine-foot solid wooden bookshelf in dustbins. <laughs> I did it. Took me weeks, but I did it. I am now dismantling a 32-inch knackered old television and putting that in wheelie bins as well. So that's my new project. So that's always fun, sneaking outside the morning before bins get emptied and uh, putting a lot of cables and bits and pieces in other people's bins because yours is full up already. So, so Adam, how are you? I'm not interrupting your schedule. You're not off making movies or anything at the minute? I've just just had um, an afternoon of watching movies, to be honest with you. I've just been chilling. I've watched Politergeist this afternoon and Ghostbusters, uh, two of the classics. It took me an hour and a half pick them but because you know. <laughs> i thought i mean you and i are scheduled to do a podcast about your filmmaking career but you can mention yeah. it in this one as anyway but i saw your poster where you pitch you shared a picture of your shelf and you said i spend more time 
uh, trying to pick a film than I do actually watching a film. And that reminds me of things that Rob and I often chat about. So I'm like, hey, let's bring Adam in and we can all, <laughs> we can all ridicule Hi. him about why he can't just pick a movie. Why, why, why do you struggle to pick a film? What's the matter with you? Got lots of films here, lots of good ones. <laughs> I've got some really good films. That's the problem. I'm spoiled for choice. But what I do is every time I'm looking at a film, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I'll watch that. And then I start, it's like I remember the film and I'm reading like seeing all the films in my, uh, the scenes in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, no, I'm not going to watch that. So I talk myself out of watching it, and then I look at <laughs> And I used to do that when I used to go to the video shop when you could rent things out, and it was yeah. you used to go on a Friday night, which was awesome. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the thought, I was shoplifting at one point because I'd be there for about two hours trying to pick a movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's that strange man doing there? He's been on that sex about three times now. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it takes me a while, but... Uh, I picked some classics, but I have bought quite a few new Blu-rays, um, but they're still not being watched. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Rob's one of these, he's mostly digital, other than like I am. millions of Star Trek DVDs and the entire <laughs> run of Roswell uh, and stuff like that, but uh, he's primarily digital, so he may, he may get a bit lost when we start talking about physical media, but we'll try and bring him up to speed and stuff, so... You know, <laughs> which uh, so you bought lots of Blu-rays. You haven't been suckered into this Arrow sale, have you? Because I have. I bought fifteen in the past week. No, I, I just tend to go on Amazon and I just put a type, type in like um, Blu-ray eighties horror films, and then I'll go to action movies. I just bought a Steven Seagal box set. I'm just a bit, you know, like the the Nico film and the um, yes. Mark for Death stuff like that. The classics. Yeah, but, went before forward. he went shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. on stunts and you can tell it's definitely a stunt double in, yeah. I think the last one they did that was decent was Glimmerman I don't know if you remember I that I think one. you're probably right actually yeah, it was, I quite liked uh, Exit Wounds that was quite good I don't know if that was after Glimmerman or before it but that was not too bad but everything after that you're like what happened stunt doubles yeah. stunt doubles it's and like, pies that's, that's what happened Van Damme movies were great you know Universal Soldier Hard Target stuff like mm-hmm. that Bloodsport and then it just kind of I don't know what happened I think he just got really lazy, I think. Because <laughs> yeah. I kept up with the Seagal movies for quite a while, but it's like these are not, you know, up to the scratch of, of Under Siege or Out for Justice or all that sort of stuff. It's like, but to be fair, somebody's paying him money to do them. Why not? I guess, but I they, not, they might be fun to make, but they're not fun to watch anymore. Yeah, definitely. So you sat and watched Poltergeist. What made you sort of choose? I mean, obviously Poltergeist is a classic, but why did that one stand out from all the other ones you have on your shelves? Because um, back in 1983, I was at Disney World in Florida with my parents. And we got back to the hotel um, late on. We'd been at Disney World all day. And um, my mum put on the TV and Poltergeist was on. My mum was really into a horror novel shoot to Stephen King and all that kind of stuff. And she says, oh, it'll be okay. It's not too scary. <laughs> we sat there in the hotel room watching Poltergeist. I'm, I think it was five and a half at the time. Wow, so, okay. Yeah, so I'm watching Poltergeist. Yeah, exactly. So I'm there, sat in this hotel room watching Poltergeist. And, she, and throughout the whole thing, she's, you know, she's reassuring me, oh, it's not real. It's all made up. It's make-believe and that. I'm thinking, okay, okay, okay. Having little panic attacks at five and a half years old and scaring me to death. And I don't know if you remember the last scene when they flee the <laughs> yeah. house. Yep. And they go to a um, motel. motel. And you were watching this in a hotel. Yep. And he throws out the TV at the end, and as the camera pans out, it says, The Holiday Inn. So, yeah, that was scarred me for life, really. See, Neil, so my <laughs> wonderful friend, Mr. Neil Johnson, has now joined the call. This is the extra wonderful guest uh, that has joined. So, Neil, you know Adam, don't you? 
Well, I've, we've never actually met. There you go. You're virtually meeting. It's just like, Rob, what we've now done is set up a, a kind of, not a dating service, but just like a network. <laughs> so we it could, is, we it, could it, just it, leave now and let these two just chat. It's an easy episode, isn't yeah. it? It's a Yorkshireman dating service. It is. <laughs> it is, yes. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm in Los Angeles, um, and it's sunny and warm. <laughs> Lovely. Well, it's not here. It's dark and cold. Yes. Miserable. So, yeah, we were just chatting about Adam's wonderful experience watching the first poltergeist, five and a half years old, thereabouts, in a hotel room. Uh, not scary oh. at all. Yeah, yeah, it is. Kind of, it sounds like a form of abuse, doesn't it? I think, it, I think there is probably some sort of hotline you can phone there on that one, I think. <laughs> in the 80s, the parents that used to smoke in front of you, and nothing mattered then, but now, yeah, I'd be, a, I'd be in a home. I don't, see, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a case of, I think, when... Because what year were you born, Adam? Probably like 78 or something. 76. 76. So I'm born in 71. Neil, you're, you're like 22 years old. So that's fine. And Rob, we yes. don't, you know, age doesn't matter. Uh, you're younger than me. <laughs> now. So I, I, when I was growing up, parents didn't really care. You could literally just watch anything you wanted on the TV in your bedroom. Usually it was on a black and white portable. So I watched things like Scum and The Omen and all these sort of things. Oh. And then parents started to care when they actually realised film certificates were there for a reason. And then nowadays, I think with Netflix, I don't think they care again. So it's sort of come full circle, I think, hasn't it? They can't police it, really. Yeah, I remember my mum used to write me um, a letter to go to the video shop saying, I'm giving my son permission to rent out um, certificate 15 and 18 films. Wow. You're kidding. That would have made no difference to me that, being, being an owner of a video shop. I wouldn't care less. No. Nope. I was, I was very, very strict. See, I was obsessed with Friday the 13th, uh, but, you know, I'm a little bit older. Um, so Friday the 13th Part 3 and 3D came out, hmm. and I really wanted to see it because, you know, I just I, – I, I used to get Fangoria magazine. I never actually seen a Friday the 13th movie because they wouldn't let me rent it out. So I wanted to go to the cinema. So I remember I was 16 – and I, I decided I will try and get into the cinema to see it. So I actually put on a a, uh, a tie and a shirt and, you know, very unfashionable. I know this because it was a blue shirt and a blue tie and corduroy pants. But I wanted to look like a businessman. So I figured, okay, well, I'm, you know, and I wasn't a very – I was I didn't look my age. I looked young for my age. So I turned up the theater trying to get in. With, uh, you know, wearing a suit, basically, and trying to look an adult. So one ticket to Friday the 13th, please. (laughs) And she says, what year were you born? And I thought, oh, no. Oh, I forgot to figure it out. And I sat there and I said, 1966. And it was still one year off. So they wouldn't let me in. I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed. My mum would let me, would happily let me see it, but... You know, they just wouldn't let me go in. So it deeply, deeply disappointed me. You know, and I was the guy when I was a child, you know, uh, my mum and I would watch scary movies and my mum would often just excuse herself because she got scared and I'd be stuck watching it alone. So I remember I got flipped out with um, Salem's Lot and she was like, she said, I can't watch this anymore. She ran off to bed and I was like stuck there watching these creepy vampires and it scared the living daylights out of me. And then there was another one called Trog. 
don't know if anyone ever anyway, saw Trog. I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Oh, I've got a copy on DVD. It's not very scary. Yeah. But, I mean, it was horrifying to watch as a young boy. And, I mean, I just it's basically a it's basically a guy with a hairy chest and a, and a Planet of the Apes um, face mask on running around pretending to be a Neanderthal, you know, dug up out of uh, – found in a cave, frozen in a cave for millions, thousands of years, and he comes back to life. But it scared the crap out of me. So, so I mean, you know, it's it, – but I just watched it and watched it, and, you know, now I'm – look how messed up I am now, you know? <laughs> you should have done what I did. Just buy a ticket for Bambi and then go in and watch Cobra. That's what I did. Oh, but then, oh, I, but then I missed half of Cobra because I kept looking over my shoulders to make sure the usherettes who would come around and sell Cornetto ice creams and stuff during the film didn't catch me. But, you know, I got in. It worked. Cause I'm did a, they actually sell you ice creams while you watched the movie? Yeah, yeah, of course they did. Yeah, they would, they would come around and they would have the, you know, lady would start. Generally, it was a lady for some reason. Uh, because obviously the men were off hunting dinosaurs and stuff. They would stand at the front and they would sell ice creams and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Oh, so, yeah, man. That was, Luxury. That was a thing. Yeah, that was back when people smoked in cinemas, which, you know, didn't seem, remember, didn't seem annoying at the time. But nowadays, if someone I, rustles a crisp packet, you're ready for killing them. <laughs> I remember people smoking on an aeroplane when I yep. left yeah. England to go to Australia in 72. I remember looking to the back of the plane, there was this cloud of smoke. You know, everyone at the back of the plane was smoking, and it really scared the, you know, again, scared the, scared the bejesus out of me because it was, it was the fear of smoke was from, as a young boy of five, that was a thing, apparently. So, what was it like growing up for you, Rob? Were you allowed to watch anything, or what were the sort of rules? Yeah, as you've heard uh, heard before, with my dad um, having a, a market stall selling uh, VHS tapes, mm-hmm. um, it was literally while I'm I was helping out on my Saturdays. Um, you know, if you wanted to uh, borrow something, then uh, just help yourself and take it home. Um, there, there was no um, kind of limits on on what I was allowed to pick, which is why wow. it kind of. Uh, my first sleepover, as you've heard in the past, um, me and a friend of mine, probably the age of um, nine, ten, decided to go uh, go home with the Freddy Krueger box set. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem to be any rules in our childhood, really, does it? You know, generally. No. But uh, but that note wouldn't have worked. Let me rent fifteens. I I had I was even at RC in my video store when a kid used to bring something up and their parent was in the shop. I used to make the parent come over and pay for the money, and they I would never even hand the thing to the kid either. It's like you are not having it because I was a real. Oh, it's just a kind of and I know we've all brought rules watching films as kids, so I'm very two faced. But as a video store owner at the time, it was a it used to really annoy me when kids would come in. They'd look about nine and he'd go home with, like, child's play and stuff. You're like, what is the matter with you? Because the media, you know what the media's like in the UK, first sign of somebody getting killed, and then, uh, you know, the Daily Mail's up in arms going, oh, movies did it, movies are the cause. Neil Johnson movies make you kill people. You're like, no, they don't. They make you smile, and we <laughs> like them, so shut up, Daily Mail. So, so <laughs> actually, I, I one, of, also... one of my movies, one of my movies actually uh, – there was a, there was this lady who wanted to see her daughter acting in a movie – and she, she was on a deathbed, and she died halfway through the film watching my movie. Oh, <laughs> and no. I'm so so upset. Oh, by it. so no. yeah. But you know, she was happy for it for her granddaughter to see you know her acting. Which so. are we allowed to know which movie it is? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was Alien Dawn, or okay. also known as Tripod War, which is actually War of the Worlds. Yes, um, and it's actually a remake of War of the Worlds, but. I, they encouraged me not to call it War of the Worlds because they're afraid of lawsuits, even though there were no lawsuits that would come down on us. It was just – it was a fear of somebody. And I think it's in the UK. Alien I think Dawn, it's called I think Alien got Dawn. Yeah. yeah. You've got a cameo yeah. in that. You're in the movie, aren't you? I am. I, I, I'm appearing in that film as uh, – I actually play David Coverdale. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the rock musician uh, you know, from the <laughs> 80s. Um, who he does get died and he, he does die and he does get eaten by Martians. Uh, but his acting is superb. So, you know, acting is amazing. Thank you. know, <laughs> Academy and snub, I think should be, uh, should be brought into that sentence. <laughs> oh, I, I should, uh, Stuart, if I enter your festival, will you give me an award? Yes. Well, obviously, cause you will be better Excellent. than all the other films. Excellent. So, <laughs> I meant for, for act, I meant for acting. Oh, obviously. Yeah. For everything. Okay. I'm going to put a best catering in there as well. And, uh, you know, best use best of a drone prop, best footage. Use, yeah, best drone footage, best use of a of a prop gun because I've got one of yours. So therefore, that is the best use of it, giving it to me. So yeah, a whole bunch of awards. No, it's funny. I, I actually saw um, Adam's movie. Uh, uh, it was it was it's I almost call it, call it a love letter to Close Encounters. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoy this film. He's, oh, sorry, he's here, isn't he? He listening? is here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's the, he's the one blushing in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was actually what the the, the, the uh, story that I took was from the feature that I've written for abduction, and it is the scene where Harvey's abducted. Um, it was what got me is I was kind of thinking on the close encounters with the style of the ships that I was um, that I designed, and also when Derry gets taken from his mom. That's sequence where the UFOs come out the clouds. Yeah. I was just absolutely obsessed with that. Was just phenomenal when I was a kid watching Close Encounters, and I thought that I want to recreate something on a similar line, but obviously um, not as good as Spielberg. But um, for a budget of nothing, I, I tried to do my best. Um, would be my first film, but uh, yeah, it was kind of. Um, Say a clear nod to Spielberg because I'm a massive fan. Growing up on his watching his films has just been, you know, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I'd be doing what I've, I'm doing now, really. So I've uh, got to thank him for that. It was, yeah, I, you know, if any if anyone's not seen it, is it available online to watch? It's um, it's on Amazon Prime um, Video, yeah. Nice. I've seen so, it. Now I've got I a like question: it. Do you make money on that? Or do Amazon Prime just just watch show you and get, like? Have you ever made any money on the views on Amazon Prime? Do yeah, but it's not the thing. Is when I made it, it didn't go. You know, most people think, oh, I'm going to make this film and it's going to go viral or something like that. But instead, the things that go viral are clips of people doing a silly dance yeah. on TikTok and then they put it on YouTube and they get millions of views and become famous overnight. Like people like Joey Essex and just like non celebrities really. And it's like it's so frustrating that people actually put up, you know try and be so creative and make a film and it just it just doesn't seem to make it. I mean, I'm getting some really good reviews on Amazon Prime and, you know, comments on Twitter, people saying, oh, it's fantastic. How did you do the visual effects and that kind of thing? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, they say it's inspiring because you've you've done it yourself and I was learning through the, the whole process of making the film because I didn't, I've never done a film before apart from watching them 
Um, but I just knew I wanted to do it, and I just wish I'd done it 20 years ago and not wait till I was 44 years old to start messing around. So you're 45. You look you look about 25. I'm 45 in November. So we've all got birthdays this year. That's that's yeah. that, that is that, that's weird. That's pretty good. But I'm just on a roll with it. You know, I did that, and I was, and then I met 13, a paranormal film, yeah. and then I was thinking of making this a werewolf film. Um, called the Moor, oh, which yes. is in Bailden. I did the. I always start with the artwork first, and um, I did that. And I got Spencer Wilding saw it on um, Twitter, and he messaged me directly and like, "Look, Spencer, because he, he was interested in being involved." And I'm like, "I don't have a big Hollywood budget. I'm an independent filmmaker." And he's like, "I want to help you. You know, get a budget for this." I, re- you know, you've just sold me on the posting, and then he told me that he'd seen Abduction as well, and he were a fan of that. I'm like. Darth Vader's telling me he's a fan of my work. Yep. It's real. It's crazy. It's so, a, yeah. I, it, I find I get a lot of that as well because I speak to my background's mainly in publicity, watching films and all that sort of stuff, but I try and make them. And then whenever somebody of, of a very high level messages me going, oh, how's your, uh, how's your Mimi trilogy coming on? It freaks me the hell out. It really well, yeah. does. I've had some like major Hollywood players go, you know, that I just generally chat to anyway. Going, oh, how's your filmmaking? Whoa, what? <laughs> Let yeah. me tell you about my filmmaking. Enough about you. Let's talk about me. It's just, it's very, very strange. And do you, do you ever get used to that, Neil? Because obviously you're the highest level of of any of us. Um, get used to what? Just get used to I... like names and stuff of people that you are huge fans of. Going, oh, so how's the filmmaking, Neil? Or um. Not really. And I'll tell you why. You see, I, you know, from the age of 16, you know, I did film school and everything else. And I was around a lot of famous people, a lot of them just famous in Australia. And the more famous and established they were, I discovered the nicer they were. Yeah. And so I, I, I learned very quickly that, hey, these are nice people. You just want to hang out with and chat. And I would usually just listen and learn from people like that. So it, it, Generally, it, it never really bothered me, um, but, it, but it's it, you got to remember. I grew up with this, so it's yeah, you, you know. I mean, and plus, I live in Los Angeles, where you you spit on you spit on the you know somebody, and they're famous. So, um, where I live right now, I mean, there's a very as I won't say who, but there's a very famous actress lives five doors up, yeah. who was in a big science fiction movie of the eighties. I mean, I've, you know, she's walked past me shooting models. And smiled, you know, (laughs) but it it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, you know, once lived next to a famous pop star who did, who was not very pleasant. Um, I mean, there's a list a mile long and it, it, the only time I've ever been starstruck in in all honesty was 2003. And by the way, I've seen Mel Gibson drinking at the pub a few many years ago which is very amusing yeah <laughs> and he's a lovely guy um the only time i ever got starstruck was working with uh uh what's his name uh okay so you've seen blake seven it's an 80s science fiction uh, yeah. series um and i employed uh paul darrow who plays avon to do a voiceover and i don't know why but that just i just got starstruck with him for some reason because I just loved his voice and he was something, you know, it just, I just, you know, I, I hit it of course, but it's the only time and I, I just, he's, he passed away now. And it, it, it was just one of those things where I was just like flabbergasted, uh, hanging around. And yes, I've directed Oscar winner, Oscar winning 
actors. So it didn't mean much to me anything, but I guess it just hit that little weird spot in my belly, you know, and I I guess for somebody like Rob, it would be, um, it'd be like seeing William Shatner, wouldn't it? Maybe, maybe not William (laughs) Shatner, maybe maybe like Leonard Niboy or something, you know, but maybe not. Yeah. We, we, we don't talk about the the, the Shatner anymore. (laughs) I, I am a big fan of uh, Chris Pine. I think uh, he, yeah, Chris, he made a great yeah. Kirk. I think he's the <laughs> ultimate Kirk, isn't he? He's Chris Pine. He's the one we will remember <laughs> fondly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, who's – I mean, we've talked about the people that you've met and stuff, uh, conventions mm. and whatnot, but did you – how quickly did you get used to being able to just go, you know, uh, like, hey, Nichelle Nichols, how's things? You know, that sort of thing. Um it was it was a very quick transition for me um you know that one day i was a fan and the next um i'd managed to to arrange spending the day with nichelle so um you know the there really wasn't that much uh kind of time to prepare for it um uh we we met in kent so uh i'd travel down um on the morning um and and kind of like say spent the day watching um these star trek fans lining up to uh to have a moment of a time for a photo or um an autograph um and you know as i was waiting you know looking at this line of people just thinking you know a month or so before i would have been one of those people in that line and now i'm getting to spend kind of the day with her which uh, was unreal um but but it it was very easy just to to say no you're doing this now um on a business level so kind of switch the the fan off and uh, be very professional and 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 nice and courteous and uh all the rest and and that's what I was and then it's just been that way ever since really um so the people I kind of get starstruck um about now are um the the people who you don't usually see at a convention or, you know, or something like that, that, you know, to me, it's far more unique seeing that person and getting to talk to them, even though in a lot of people's uh, eyes, they're, um, they're, they're not a kind of an A-list celebrity. So who, let's have a couple of names from each people. Who, what two people spring to mind when you've been like, uh, oh, crap, oh, quick, think of something, think of something. I'm not quite sure what to say to them. For me, for me, it's Michael Bean. I remember standing, I was on a conversation with you, Rob, in Manchester, and it's like, right, I've got to go see Michael Bean now. Mm-hmm. What the hell am I going to ask him? And he was one, and I ended up managing to come up with stuff. We chatted about the Abyss and Tombstone and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then Mick Garris last year, and even though that was just a virtual conversation that we spent, I was like, oh my God, I'm talking to Mick Garris. This is just blowing my mind, but I managed, as always, to just keep talking and then afterwards go, holy crap, I've just spent an hour chatting to Mick Garris. I'm putting that on my my uh, starstruck list. Well, so what about you, Adam? Uh, say if you've been to conventions or spoke to people involved with your movies, who's sort of blown your mind when you've kind of struggled to to go? Oh, I need to say something, but you've managed it. Yeah. Well, it was really, I've, I've met Spencer Wilden at um, UltraCon. It's like Comic Con um, over here. Um, a guy called Rob runs it. He hasn't run it for a couple of years, obviously, with lockdown and everything. I've been able to do it. So I met Spencer for that. But I used to do TV extra work before I started making films um, years ago. I remember we were filming in Leeds. 
and it were a show called Diamond Geezer. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, with David Jason in. I do. Uh, yes, I do. Yep. Yeah, and, and this particular day, we they sat me at this table. I didn't tell what was going on. I says, "Oh, you need to sit here." Uh, sat next to this other extra. And anyway, they they bring in this. I, I, I was talking to the other extra, and I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> and they sat right in front of me. David Jason dead in front of me, and Jenny Agatha was. <laughs> oh, my oh my god! Oh my goodness! London, and he's like David Jason as well. And he's like, "Hi, how are you doing?" And they were setting up short, and about 45 minutes, we were just talking about his place in Mallorca and his boat and everything. I'm talking to Jerry about American Wealth in London. I'm like, this is just weird. Yeah. It was so surreal, and it was just, yeah, I was starstruck. Because it was kind of the shock element, because I wasn't expecting them to be there as well. Yeah. On set, I thought they were just going to stick some other extras on the table, and it was just, no, David Jason, and, uh, yeah. I think so, I think surreal and weird is probably how I would sum up most of the stuff that I do. So it's like I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll look at my Twitter and it's like Oliver Stone's liked one of my tweets and then William Friedkin, he's liked another one and then Susan George, he's retweeted something. I'm like, what the hell? I'm just somebody who loves movies. I really do not understand what the hell's going on with my life. But I just choose to ignore that and just enjoy the fact that I wake up to get to see weird things like that. <laughs> so what about you, Rob? Uh, for me, um, the first one's got to be John Chalice. Um, yeah. Boise from Only Fools and Horses. Um, just because, um, I, I grew up with, um, you know, all the British, um, classic comedy series, uh, Only Fools and Horses being one of my absolute favourites. Um, so, uh, I got to meet him at Stoke Contrent, um, and, uh, that's where I chatted to him about coming to the first Sci Fi Wales. Um, you know, getting, uh, the courage just to kind of walk up to him. When he's somebody I have idolised um, was uh, was quite difficult, but you know, like I say, one of those things you have to do. And uh, uh, I was very happy when he uh, agreed to come to Sci-Fi Wales. Um, then my second would be um, a, a band that none of you have probably heard of. Um, the band's name is Marlow. They won. Um, BBC's version of the X Factor, and this was long before the X Factor, uh, called Get Your Act Together. Um, I think Ronan Keating was um, one of the judges on it. Um, but they they won the, uh, the competition and, and signed with Polydor. And uh, it just so happened that my father was um, friends with their manager. And uh, at the time, um, I was starting my own web um, design business. So, um, but I said, "Oh, uh, Marlo, they're they're in the news at the moment. Um, I'll introduce you to the manager." And uh, anyway, took me to uh, to meet the manager. And Marlo were there um, in the studio they got at the building we turned up uh, to. So I uh, got to meet the band. Um, and I ended up doing their website uh, and getting to know them all really well, uh, going out kind of um, to gigs with them and that kind of stuff. But um, again, um, you know, meeting them was uh, a bit of an overload. Really, um, wasn't expecting them there at all. So, uh, so yeah, cool. Neil, this is, this is a tricky. Neil will be like, nobody has ever stopped me for what? No one ever. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, oh dear. See, it, it's, it's a tough one. You know, I keep racking my brains and there's so many people. See, how about though? I mean, you've worked with Christopher Lee and you've told yeah. me, you know, several stories about Christopher Lee. They're all amazing. It's like, what was it like meeting Christopher Lee for the first time? 
Um, well, you know, it's uh, again, you know, probably been around it more than most of the other people. It was very interesting because uh, there was this band called Rhapsody of Fire uh, who wanted him as a voiceover guy, you know, to do the voice of, you know, some of their album narrations. So first, and and while he was there in, in the recording studio in London, uh, it's actually Iron Maiden's recording studio, which is kind of cool. Um, and while he was there, we shot a little bit of the music video. So I basically started, you know, from day one, I had to direct Christopher Lee, but didn't really bother me. And he was making jokes with me all the time. And everyone around was super nervous. Like, I know the guys in Rhapsody were just like, they were just like wide-eyed and just couldn't say a word to him. They were, they were like in, in heaven. <laughs> and Christopher Lee realized that I was British uh, but lived in Australia. So he kept making all these jokes to me and everyone else in the studio was like, Oh, you, you're upsetting Mr. Lee. So no, we're having, we're having fun because, <laughs> you know, British humor and stuff. And he was, he was making, you know, and I was, for example, we you know, did one take and I said, that was perfect. Can we do it again? And he said, if it was perfect, why should I do it again? <laughs> you know, kept a straight face and everyone was like, Ooh, and it's like, just, just guys, it's okay. He's, he's having a joke, you know? So it was, it was a good rapport and I just enjoyed watching everyone else get all starstruck. And we just, we were just always making these funny jokes and, and, you know, I looked out, I mean, I worked with him for many years and doing many different things. And, you know, it's just, you, you understand him, you know, it was just one of those sort of people you just click with. And I clicked. So when he passed away, I was very upset. And one of the last things he ever did for me, uh, yes, it was cash involved, but not, you know, not, not, millions uh he did a voiceover for uh, the time war and i was just very thankful for that you know so i i you just forget immediately who they are but every now and again you're know, watching uh i'll see him turn up in an old movie when he was a young man and he is so interesting as a young man he was so dapper you know yet yet very very stiff but in a in a in a very interesting way he was fascinating to look at as a young man that's what i enjoy the most because it's not the person i knew um you see him in his old movies and this was a different person in a different time and you know he was even really nice to me when okay so i i also had a little bit of his voiceover in a movie called alien armageddon and then the british press jumped on this and and found out he was in my you know in my movie which was my, probably one of my lowest budget films at the time and they contacted mr lee and said so how do you feel being in a movie that has cannibalism and lesbian scenes <laughs> you know and and he was very he was like he spoke to his manager and then the manager was saying well why is mr lee in this movie i said it's not a movie about cannibalism or lesbian <laughs> it, it was such a stretch because uh you know the alien the alien, one alien ate a human infected with a virus and died. So that was cannibalism. Well, if an, a- if an alien eats a human, that's not cannibalism, is it? It's a different species. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then these two people kissed and two females kissed <gasps> in, in it to, to spread, to, to, to infect each other with the disease. It was part of the scene. They weren't lesbians. They weren't having a romance or anything. But that was the sort of stuff that went down. So, 
got caught in the middle of that. That was, I won't say a lawsuit, but it could have, the, the manager got super annoyed and Mr. Lee stepped in and said, look, just anything my manager says, just ignore him. He's an idiot. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> that's but, how he shut him up. Because anybody who's seen The Wicker Man knows that's a Disney film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Hell. laughs> that, that, well, that's, that was my comeback. I think, I think, are you trying to tell exactly what I said? Are you trying to tell me the man who did The Wicker Man? <laughs> Dracula. Um, is, is, and Dracula is how concerned about being in a movie of lesbians and cannibals. Have you seen Mr. Lee's movie career? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I said to the manager, and yeah. they shut up then. Good. You know. Managers. Ugh. <laughs> Not that I have one, so I can afford to go with. If I had one, I'd be like, "Managers are amazing, Neil. Shut up." <laughs> Mine's amazing. He makes me money, but not all one or, or she. So, has there never been anybody, sort of, maybe before your filmmaking career, that has sort of stumped you? Where you're like, "Oh my god, I'm actually meeting such and such." Or are you one of those very rare people? You're like, "Nope." Uh, you, you know, I was 15. I, I went running with uh, Captain Sulu from Star Trek. That's pretty good. Because as a young boy, I used to attend science fiction conventions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I met Star Trek people very young at the age of 15. And no, yes, he is gay. No, he didn't try anything. Yes, I was a cute young boy. Yeah. Um, but he was truly a really nice human being. So, I mean, there was none of that silliness. You know, he was uh, – that's why I like the guy to this day, you know. You were, um, you were running. I, you were running with him, not away from him or after him. Exactly. He, with, he was a jogger. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know the city and in Brisbane, and you wanted somebody to show him around, and I did. I was very, you know, very honoured to do it. I have a photo with him too. Um, but uh, I tell you, the one other time was I was getting my green uh, visa or green card for the US, and I was in the UK in London. I had to go into the US consulate, and I saw Joanna Lumley across the room getting her visa as well, and uh, I was like. She, I mean, yeah, this was 2010, I guess, or 2012. Okay. She looked so good. I mean, I figured out her age and stuff, but she was so well put together. I was very, very impressed. And I was kind of like, you know, because you don't expect to meet someone like that. So, oh, my God, that's Joanna Lumley. And, of course, I didn't say anything to her because I was just a little bit gobsmacked and was just so impressed with how well put together she was. You know, she was such a such a well-presented human being, you know, so... What's the first thing you think of when you think of Joanna Lumley? I'm going with Sapphire and Steel. Uh, absolutely fabulous, and the longest legs I've ever seen on a human being. <laughs> 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 so, have we, I mean, Rob and I were supposed to chat last week, but Rob was a bit poorly, so we're now doing it this week. Has everybody on the call seen the, the Zack Snyder cut of uh, Justice League? Yes. 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 Yeah. What, did, uh, what did you think? Rob. I wonder I, what Rob thinks I, first. Let's, let's see what Rob I lo- oh, so Rob first? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, I started watching the movie and um, really had to give some deep thought on whether I'd actually seen the uh, the original um, <laughs> yes. first Justice League. <laughs> Same. Um, yeah. You know, when it was only... Um, once I got to certain scenes, I said, yeah, I, yeah I've seen this. Um, you know, uh, so, yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, leagues ahead of the uh, the first, the Joss Whedon cut. Well, I'd seen the original twice. 
And then I'm watching the Zack Snyder cut, and I'm thinking, have I really seen the one that Whedon finished? Because I can't remember. Oh, no, I can remember that scene and that one, but nothing else. How different is this film? Turns out it's very, very different. So, Neil, what did you think? And did you watch it all in one lump? I did. uh, I watched it in three lumps. Thank you, because I had chapter breaks, which I I loved. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I... uh, Again, same problem. I, I could not remember the original film. And I, the, that says something about the, the craft of filmmaking now, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but I actually had to watch a video comparing the original scenes to the new scenes. And I can see why I don't remember it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, there's nothing. There's nothing in the original to the, to the, to the remade version. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. But my question is, is it better than Watchmen? Because it's, you know, it's a similar yeah. type of, I have you know. I have the ultimate version of Watchmen to watch in the next few days, but I didn't want to put Annette through another four-hour comic book movie a week after we watched Justice League. I think that may be pushing my luck. So at some point in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to sit down and watch it. Interesting. Yes, Adam, what did you think of Mr. Snyder's? Uh, you, you, that's not going to win any short film awards, though, is it? Really. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, um, we watched it on the opening weekend. I watched it with my son on the Sunday, and he's a massive Marvel and DC fan. And it was a completely different movie because we bought my son Justice League on Blu-ray. We'd seen it at the pictures, but he's never watched a Blu-ray since. And, and he's, he's on about he's seeing these uh, videos of people on YouTube where they're actually throwing the um, the original cutaway. Oh! Just, oh. <laughs> and oh. Throw it in the bin, and I'm like, no! Oh, no. No, keep it. But yeah, so like Sam was there, you, could, you couldn't recognise it as being the same film. But one of the things I'm glad they got rid of is um, Henry's moustache, where they yeah. CGI out of it, and it was just a mess. That was just such a mess. And I was just so glad they completely cut that scene out. So yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was it was a long slot, but it didn't feel like four no, hours. it really didn't. No. Just, no. The action and the story, you just get sucked into it. Um, the only person that says is it, you know, it felt like long as my wife kept coming in the room and says, is it, is it finished yet? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was she not interested in watching it then? Well, no, four hours. She won't even do Lord of the Rings and things like that. So like, for an hour and a half, what? she's all asleep. So. But you could, if you break it into chapters, yeah, it works. It does. I think. It could work. Yeah, it does work in chapters. It, it always makes me laugh, and this is not picking on your wife at all, Adam. It's, it's just like you get a lot of people who are saying, oh, "I can't watch four hour film," but then they'll sit down and binge watch like the full season of Daredevil in a weekend. You're like, okay, exactly. the binge watch argument falls down. Then you know, I don't want to watch something long, but I'll happily watch like eight, ten episodes of something. It's a, it's yeah. a little bit of a strange argument. 2006, when Lost came out, um, <laughs> me and my wife were watching that till four or five in the morning. <laughs> every season, yeah. but she was up for that. But like you say, yeah, it's a uh, it's a different ball. And I think it's a superhero. She don't get the superhero thing, so it's more of a, a boys um, genre. So she's uh, yeah, she kind of stares out of the way when it's. Um, I'm kind of glad I had a, uh, a son and not a daughter. I'm not watching all these um, <laughs> Disney princess films. Oh, like no. That. Yeah, no, don't do that. That's, Rob's like, I have to watch all them with my daughter. <laughs> I think some Rob, okay. You quite like them, though, don't you? Some of the, some of the recommendations you come onto the show, I'm like, I've never even heard of that one. Never even heard of it. <laughs> Although I have been watching The Mighty Ducks, uh, The Game Changers. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that TV show yet. It's a bit of an odd one. but 
but that's on Disney Plus. So, how do you feel about the this is sort of a question directed at Neil and Adam, I guess mainly? Is how do you feel about going back and doing a different version of a film? I know Justice League has, has a very <laughs> has a very different story to it, a very valid reason why. Snyder came back and finished it, but but in general, there's a lot of filmmakers like Ford Coppola. I think he puts out a new version of one of his every couple of weeks. He's like, "This is the proper version. It looks the same as the other one." Uh, how do you guys feel about going back to a film and then changing it, or adding things, or removing things? Who wants Adam? to? Adam, yeah, Adam, you Adam. go. Adam, you go first. Would you, in like two, three years' time or whatever, go back and change abduction? Or are you like, that one's done, I'm 100% going to do something else? Yeah, do you know what? what I've, I've gone back so many times and re-edited scenes, and then two days later I change it again, and I wasn't happy with it because I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Even when I did the final cut and I brought it out, and I'm like, I probably watched it about 10 times, and everyone's uh, giving me reviews and stuff, and I'm like, I wish I'd just added this or taken it out, and it's, it's a too late too late then it's you know it's i just yeah you, you can you can keep recycling it and changing things and cutting things out but you know at some point you've got to stop because you'll just never get it finished but when i finished abduction I, to be honest with my first film i was happy with it um what i've accomplished um and i just wanted to get on with a werewolf film um which was supposed to start at the beginning of 2020 yeah. but obviously it, it just halted everything. Yeah, um, I know that feeling. It's been so hard to do anything now because it's like it's so flat. You know, I have that momentum. I feel like it's it's like going back to the gym again. You know, you've got a little voice in your head that talks you about going. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, well, we'll, we'll probably do it next week. That kind of thing. And it's I don't know. It's um, it's a bit of a strange one. It's, I think uh, it's like I've had a rest day today because yesterday I went into town to pick up my new glasses and I got back at night. I'm like, I'm exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. I looked at my little stepometer. Stepometer. I did four thousand steps yesterday and I was exhausted. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah. Neil just runs up and down mountains twenty four hours a day. He does not get tired. I have seen this. I am running up and down. You actually do. I thought you meant while you were podcasting. I'm like that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even swivel my chair without sounding out of breath in a minute. Yeah, 2020 and 2021 is uh, is tiring. But uh, I also think when you make a film, it's you release it at a certain time of your life. I think, and I think this is George Lucas's problem. He's like, oh, this is the film that I wanted to make now. No, that's because you've got the brain that you've got now. This isn't the 1977 brain. So, you know, that type of thing. I think if you go back and look at abduction in 10, 15 years, you would probably change a lot of it. Not necessarily yeah. for, you know, well, not necessarily would that be a good thing. But you, you would look at it from a different point of view. How often do we watch a film that we absolutely loved as kids? And you look at it now and you're like, this is awful. What the hell did they ever like this film? Because you're of a different audience. Mm. So, Neil, what's your take on it? Because I know you've, oh. you've you tweak films and... <laughs> You're, you're planning uh, on and all sorts of stuff. I am the king of special editions. <laughs> um, uh, you know, my first film, second film, uh, third film, uh, have all had special edition versions. Now, I, this is the, I'm, I'm going to. It's going to be a bit of a long answer, but I'll give you the, the the wisdom that I've learned in the end. It was a cool thing to do. When CGI comes out, it's a new toy. Uh, 
you can do new things to your movie. A, fix the color grading. B, fix the VFX. And C, you know, add new sequences because of CG and everything. And that's the wrong decision to make to, to change a movie. If when you originally did the movie, uh, you were susceptible to a trend at the time. And by a trend, I mean there was a time when all movies had this music video style cutting, um, which was very cool and edgy and a thing to do. This is late 90s, of course. Um, and then you realized you were just bowing to a stupid trend, then, yes, you should recut your film. As, uh, you know, I have gone through some of these uh, processes. But if you're trying to put in some nice CG to make it look more impressive and more modern – just be aware that your CG in 10 years will look so terrible that you'll want to go back to the original version. Yeah. And I have, I have sinned. In <gasps> fact, I made four versions of my first film, fix, you know, updating the CG, and then, oh, God, it looks so dated. So I updated it again, updated it again, and then I remastered it. It went pretty much almost right back to the original. So I, I've done this myself, and... Um, I think the clever thing is to do is, is make a good film as you can at the time and uh, make sure it goes out, you know, as well as you possibly can. That being said, uh, there is a movie I did called Humanity's End, which suffered from a very rushed production because they uh, they wanted the movie quickly. And I rushed it out and I listened to everybody that I shouldn't have listened to. And I am going back to Humanity's End very, very soon. In fact, it's already in the early stage process, and I'm going to recut it, recolor grade it, blow it up to maybe up to 4K, uh, redo all the visual effects, possibly with physical models. I mean, this is this is how stupid it's gotten. So I did the movie at the height of the CG re- Renaissance and the Serenity TV series, and every, you know that shaky camera Galactica-looking yeah, yeah. stuff. Um, you know the, the outer space shaky cam stuff. I did that stuff and it did quite well in the, in, in its time. And now I'm taking the movie that was originally slated as CG and I'm going to redo it with physical models, which is the complete opposite of what everyone else does. Um, because I've just gone full circle. And I think that that's, that's a valid reason to redo a movie is if you can actually make it better, you know, long term then it's good. And plus I have a skill set now. I can actually build physical model spaceships. Whereas back then uh, I was hopeless. So I've had, I've learned a new skill set, which will get applied to the movie. So it, it's, you know, I, does it work with Blade Runner? Thank God they didn't do any, I get the editing process yeah. and thank God they didn't CG it up because you know, the star Wars thing is a really good lesson for us at the time. I was, I saw it on the you know, the Star Wars redone movies, and I was gobsmacked. I thought, this is great. I'm going to do the same. Yeah. Um, and now we, I think, I think George maybe would look at it and say, yeah, maybe at the time it was good, but maybe I need to redo those things now. Um, CG is a great tool if done right and used properly. If you pull up uh, uh, Rogue One, the movie, it's, it's visually, the visual effects in that are incredible. Yes, it's CG, but they've simulated models in it. And it's really quite a great-looking movie right now. And I think that will uh, that's a good lesson in you know balance with CG and live action and, and truth and, and reality. That's what I think is the – you know if a movie needs to be redone, recut, it's to make it more honest and more truthful. Then so be it, you know. Um, 
and I can understand, you know, Blade Runner, the first cut, the theatrical thing with the voiceover. Ridley was just so annoyed with how he was treated, and I think that was a valid, re, you know, a valid recut. Yeah. Um, but not every not every movie should be redone. But you've got to come back to you know what was left out and why. And and uh, I would love to see a version of Star Wars. That is the kitchen sink version. They put in all the scenes they cut out and they fixed the, the bad CG and they could possibly add a couple more sequences, but done really well, like they did Rogue One. So it's like the extended cut and you don't call it the original, you call it the extended cut like they did with Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings movies, uh, if you've ever seen the extended cut, they're even longer. I know your, uh, Adam, your wife would love this, but they're so, they're so much better. Yeah, they are. The storytelling yeah. is great, you know, and I just, I would never watch the originals because it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's edited crap. But the, the, the re, the extended versions are just, it's like a breath of fresh air and I will always put them on and enjoy every, every moment of that because we want to breathe and we want to enjoy the moment. And yeah. It's not a cinema experience. It's a sit down and watch it in chapters uh, experience like a TV series. And I think that's the, the future of filmmaking, which is why – is my plug – why The Time War originally was a two-hour movie is now probably 10 hours of, of content. It tells a grand story, and I could never make it as a two-hour movie, and that would just be horrendous. So I'm, I'm glad to – I don't think I'd ever remake that movie again or I'd recut it again. I'm doing it so it's done perfect and done right. And that's my lesson of having done so many special editions of my own movies and director's cuts and everything else, you know. So there's my answer. <laughs> that was a very good answer. I can't remember what the question was, but yes. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so with Justice League, anything you didn't like about it? Rob? No. Same. Uh, I was uh, I was quite happy with, uh, with the whole of Justice League. Um you know, yeah. Neil? I can't really um, fault it. What about you, Neil? Can someone explain the ending to me? I had to Google it. I, I, that that, that it. was going to be my thing. Was that? And whilst I was watching the film, it was like, there, there's a wonderful shot where it pans across all the members of the Justice League and the big Tom Holkenberg soundtrack, which is just absolutely amazing, by the way. And it's just on, on repeat on my iPod constantly. It pans across and I'm like, please end the film there because it would be a perfect ending. And then it sort of fades out and comes back with this epilogue. And I'm like, I don't like the epilogue. This epilogue's terrible. It's not ruined the film, but I'm not a fan of it. So I watched it, and then I googled about uh, why it was there, and now I like it again. Because apparently it is is there because that was a a sort of a teaser about the next movie. So had the Snyderverse carried on, had Warner Brothers not thought, oh no, we don't like that, let's move on with other stuff, they were going to carry on and and Zack Snyder was going to make more movies. Now apparently the epilogue is, so the big bad is obviously Superman in this epilogue and he's scorched the earth because he's been in a real grumpy mood and apparently it is because he got very, very mad finding out that uh, Lois Lane was pregnant with, with Bruce Wayne's child. And then, so he was all fed up and grumpy and this, that, and the other. And um, what's the name of the, the the really bad guy? So not Steppenwolf because he's gone. The the one above him, the, like Lex Luthor. No, the, no. Oh. the other one. I can't remember the sort of demony, the Thanos type character. I've forgotten his name. Yeah. So he's got the ability to take uh, take control of people if they're emotionally vulnerable. 
So therefore he takes control of Superman and turns him into a bad Superman, and that's the whole scorched earth thing. So that's what the whole well, epilogue But why means. did Batman sleep with, with Lois Lane? Because Superman had died. And they sort of, you know, Lois would have been a bit vulnerable and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Ben Affleck, well, you know, Ben Affleck might have had one, two drink, drinks too many or something like that and just become a bit frisky with Lois Lane, and that's what happened there. So that's what the epilogue is all to do with. So it's a little bit weird, but uh, but kind of makes it, it, sense. It, it looked a bit like Judge Dredd to me, which I was, it reminded me of the Cursed Earth stuff. Yeah. You know, I liked the feeling of it, but I was confused. Me too. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, Adam, anything you didn't like, other than the fact your wife kept interrupting you? Go on, is it finished yet? <laughs> yeah, I kept having to pause it. Uh, yeah, no, no, you know, I've, I've said in the ending just seemed a bit pointless. I think I could have, you know, done that in the extra deleted scenes or something like that. It should have ended, like you say, yeah. a shot all the, all the superheroes because it just, it, like, you know, Marshall Mallons were in it and everything. And it's like, yeah, um, I... <sighs> It was it was perfect to be honest with you. I, I couldn't really follow it at all. And usually I'm quite critical with certain scenes and I get annoyed by little things, you know. Um, but it was pretty. It was perfect. Do you know what's a bit of a task? Is try and go back and watch the Joss Whedon version. Can't do it. No, I, can't do it. I tried. I know I got back ten minutes in. I'm like I can't even even scenes that were in the Zack Snyder version. I couldn't, it's like, that looks terrible. What the hell? Just because of the colour grading or the score or the feel. And there's nothing wrong with Danny Elfman's music in the first one, but it was just like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I need to go back and rewatch the Zack Snyder directed version. So I, that is apparently coming out on Blu-ray this year, so I will 100% be picking that up and, uh, and watching that many, many times. It is very, very good. So, but yeah, not the shortest film. And then you go on the internet and everybody's just ripping it to pieces. Well, a lot of people are. It's like, what film did you watch? What the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> Ridiculous. There's so many films that come out. They're absolutely... Like, um, Steven Spielberg, I went to see um, Ready Player One at the IMAX cinema. Yep. And for, I thought that film was just absolutely brilliant. The visual effects and everything about it mm. was just awesome. And I went home and I started reading the reviews and these people just so tripe, rubbish, you know? <laughs> yeah. These people that trash films are the people that spend half the film on the phones. Yeah, of course. They're not yeah. film. They don't love cinema. They're just... And because I've lost the train of thought and they don't know what's going on, they're just rubbishing. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, you know, the amount of work that goes into making movies. And these people just pull them apart for no other reason than that they just don't understand they don't have the thought process to follow it in the first place and it just it really annoys me does that you know i know somebody who he does a podcast and neil knows who i'm talking about and this guy just <laughs> he despises the majority of films i mean he doesn't hate every film he likes a certain genre that he likes and that's fine but anything outside that he will literally tear to pieces and that's just the style that he reviews, and it really. And I've told him to his face. I'm like, I really. Why do you, I don't get why you watch these movies? Well, I have to. I have to review them for. My, you don't have to. You don't do it for a job. I don't do it for a job. I don't get paid for it. So if, if a filmmaker sends me a film and watches it, I don't have to watch it. It's like I don't care. But I generally do. But um, but he he hates James Bond movies. Absolutely hates. Doesn't like any of them. Never been a Bond fan whatsoever. Reviewed the latest one. Well, not No Time to Die, but the previous one. I'm like, why are you watching it? Oh, I had to. Yeah, but you know you're not going to like it. There's a reason I don't review musicals, because I'm not a fan of musicals. I don't feel the need to run on the internet and say, hey, you liked a musical? You're wrong. You're an idiot. Musicals are terrible and should all be killed. I just stay away from them. 
It's the, Sounds like he likes to torture himself. I think he likes to torture his listeners. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Neil knows Neil knows exactly what about it. So does Rob, I think, because he chuckled too. Yeah. But it's like, my God, I just and I listen to the show now and again and and then I'll and then I'll stop for a while because it's just if you have nothing nice to say, here's a thought, don't say anything. There's enough really, really good films out there to talk about. Don't spend all your time bitching and moaning about why you didn't like one. For the most stupid reasons. It's just crazy. I don't... Were, were you, I mean, Neil uh, and Adam, are you nervous when you put a film out there? Or do you sort of expect dickheads to come out of the woodwork and just have pot shots? And how do you deal with any negative reviews that are out there? Uh, Adam, you can go first. Adam. Hey, well, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know it's going to happen. I mean, I was really nervous when I made my first film. I mean, Neil's made loads of films, you know, some phenomenal science fiction films. But my first one, and probably Neil will be the same, the first time you made a film, you were probably more nervous then than you are now. But... Um, I knew there's, there's always going to be the haters out there, no matter what you do. You know, it's, if you write a screenplay, if you if you paint, you know, picture anything like this, it's, people are going to rubbish everything that you've got or you've made. Um, everyone's going to be critical. It's just the way you deal with it. You just need to, you know, be a bit thick-skinned to it because you got to think these people are just they're obviously uh, missing out on something in their lives to be so hateful towards everything, you know, and so negative about it instead of appreciating what people have made. You know, yes, people can be critical about certain scenes or something, but if it's justified, but, you know, when you've done your best with something and somebody just comes out, and they don't even back up the negative review, something mm-hmm. like I put on Amazon and the guys just put tripe and that's it. And I'm like, what else you could, what else have you got to say? That's it. And, and I just looked at the guys. <laughs> I kind of like, oh no, I'll find out where he lives and then I'll go visit. <laughs> yeah. <him." laughs> just message me the postcode that I'm also about. Yes, the robbery's bed will be What were you saying again? Hobbly's leg, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he put that and then I looked at his um, Amazon profile, not obviously stalking him, but he's put one star reviews on everything yeah. and he'd review. Um, 1917, the, the, the Walter Amazing film. Yeah. What amazing film? Yeah. And it's absolute rubbish. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, <laughs> things rubbish, uh, rubbish. And it's not just films, it's everything you buy is a pair of trainers. Absolutely rubbish. I'm like, wow, you know, but the, you know, you get, you get, you get the negatives and the positives. You get some fantastic reviews as well. So yeah. It's it is nerve wracking. That must that um, must have made you feel better though when you look at its review of your film and he's like tripe and you're like what? Why do you think my film was tripe? Oh, he thought 1917 was crap. I'm all right with his review of my film. Yeah. But I don't care. So <laughs> yes, it's a wise move going and seeing what else they review. I think. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it is. Because the thing is, when I first put it out, I put it, it was on Facebook, so a majority of my friends were sharing it. And because of your friends and you've known them for years, you don't know if their reviews are oh, oh, it's fantastic and that. So yeah. it's nice to get reviews from complete strangers that don't really know you on a personal level or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're getting like um, I've got Tony Todd and yeah. Stan Shaw. You know, you know, quite you know, been in the game for a long time and they loved my film and they're putting. The reviews on Twitter, and I was just like, "Wow, that's cool." Tony, you Tony know. is a very nice person. So, Rob and I, we yeah. do like Tony. I'm sure Neil likes him too, but yeah, we, we like him. Uh, Tony, who? So the guy that's saying you know, <laughs> reviews like that. So, so Neil, how do you deal with reviews? Um, 
violently. <laughs> you, you hunt, you give me a postcode, I'm going to hunt you down. Well, because see, because that's, you know, I, just, I suppose, just sort of interrupt before you get into your answer there, is it's like I put a film out, like my experience in Comic-Con one, I put it out because I wanted to make it, and I put it out there and it's fine. There was no financial sort of side of things for me. It's like, I didn't think I'd put that on YouTube and I'd make a fortune. It's like, right, I've done now, Let's people can watch it. Uh, Adam, yours is low budget as well. I didn't think, I wouldn't thought you've made that film going, right, here comes Hollywood next week, we're going to be working with Spielberg, yet. A couple more films, you might be. But Neil, you've been doing this a lot longer, and you're, you've got more of a financial um, investment in your movies. So therefore, enough bloody idiots coming out of woodwork can impact you financially. Yes. Well, th- that being said, my worst reviewed movie has also made me the most profitable. <laughs> really? <laughs> Seriously. It's bizarre. Um, my second, my, my, the, my last movie, which is my biggest selling movie by a long shot, because we got figured out the numbers, yeah. uh, is not my worst reviewed movie, but it's also the one that I got screwed on by Sony. So, I, I don't know what the, uh, I, I don't know what to think about reviewers, uh, uh, you know, we had an incident once where the reviewer from Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter was given a, da- you know, a viewing link, uh, a Vimeo link to watch the film. He watched five minutes and then wrote a review that was scathing. Yep. Uh, but he didn't watch the movie. He literally only watched five minutes. So anyone who gets past about the, the you know, the, 40 first, the first hour realizes this is something else and they really enjoy it. <laughs> But that's what annoyed me the most was, you know, just laziness uh, with reviewers. So, and I've met some of these people who've written horribly negative things about my movies at film festivals, and they they go back on their word. Wow! So they have no courage to stand behind their words, and so you know, I I just think it's just it's just crap. Um, as long as the thing sells, and I can make another movie, that's okay. But for some reason, my movies get really bad reviews in the beginning, and then suddenly they get better after people have seen them once or twice or three times. It's what they're those types of movies that grow on you over yeah. time, and I'm okay with that um, because I still get I still get interview requests and people discussing Humanity's End, uh, which is bizarre because that movie came out in 2009, I think. I, or I love Humanity's End. I think if I have to do a list of my favorite films of yours, that's definitely in the running. And I think Rob, I yeah. don't know if Rob's seen that one, but he would love it because it is very Firefly-ish. It is. I love it. So it's definitely, it would probably be my top two or three movies that are, well, that are out there of yours that I've seen. And I, I, I was her- terribly compromised in that movie because, you know, I had distrib- I had all this backstory of the character and his fa- relationship with his father and all this and that. Or it, was, it was not action-based. It was character-based. And the distributors came in and said, actually came on set one day and really annoyed the crap out of me, uh, and said, you, you, we don't want this stuff in the movie. And I should have just ignored them and shot it anyway and not put it in because now I'd be very happy because I had these great scenes that were even more Firefly-like. And you know, and it, it, that was my biggest mistake was listening to distributors. Uh, now, this is another thing. I'm going to tell you the weirdest story on Humanity's End. Uh, it's basically a – you know, a Han Solo movie, mm. Han Solo guy in space yeah, is, having, yeah. but he's, he's not a cool Han Solo. Um, originally, when I was, you know, casting and everything else, 
the lead character was not going to be a white male, but a black male. Because I just, this was 2006, it wasn't the dumb thing. And I just thought, you know, it would be so it'd be so interesting and dynamic and had nothing to do with color except I just thought it would be cool to have somebody, you know, not stereotypical white guy in space, you know, having a rough time. I just wanted somebody different. And we had some great people cast who just had so much good attitude on camera, these wonderful different guys. And so I went to the distributor and said, you know, I'm thinking about this guy uh, to be the lead. And they said, no. I said, and they said, I said, why? Because he's black. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is 2006. And it wasn't the, wasn't the distributor in the U.S. He said, look, you do this. You're going to – you. I mean the movie cost me a lot of money. You're not going to make half the money. Um, you're going to lose half, half your audience. I said, why? Because when we sell internationally, certain countries, certain territories will not take a movie if the lead person is black. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Is it the, the, the racist people who exist? And I won't name those countries. Oh, damn. I that was going to be my next question. <laughs> yep, carry on. Well, it, it's okay. it was in England. I'm going to say okay. this. Uh, maybe they don't speak. One of, let's say one of the biggest territories on the planet. Yeah. Uh, and they they have they have the same country has had similar issues with the uh, the Force Awakens recently. If you oh, want to yeah, Google yeah, it and figure yeah, it out, yeah. but it was like you got to be kidding me! Is are they that bad? I said yeah, they are that racist, and I was just horrified. And unfortunately, this is going to be uh, you know when I've got everything I own on the line, I made the decision to go with the white guy and the white guy we have in the film is great and did a wonderful job. And, you know, certainly is a certain thing, but I always wonder what would have happened if I had the guy I originally wanted in, in the film. And it it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because, you know, it was, it was just such a sign of the times, even though those, you know, it's still the undercurrent was there. And if people say there's no racism, it's so, so apparent in, in certain territories and certain places. And I, I was I was literally disgusted at the time, and I, I seriously almost dumped. But then you got to understand, I probably would have lost everything I owned and would have been homeless had I gone with my original thought. And you wouldn't have been you able know, to make not. subsequent films. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, it just it just really annoyed the the bejesus out of me. So you know, but mind you, I'm a guy who put a female action hero star in in uh, my second and third film, you know, before it's cool to put f- females doing action-based stuff. So I, I just, it's just the way my brain thinks, you know, I like interesting characters and interesting people and I do not care about anything no. because, you know, I don't care about their race or anything because that's where I grew up in Australia. I was, I was British and I was, I was the target of racism because I was British and beaten up many times because of my British accent. So I, I learned very quickly um, what it's like to be on the, the butt end of that, of that situation. You know, I was called a pommy, pommy bastard was the term that was used, which, you know, um, it's a racial slur and, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's just all in retrospect. You can say, Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. But you learn as you go along. Yeah, you and so that's why I think everything, every time I've got a bad review, I got screwed or whatever, you think, well, next time I'll do better. Next time I'll do better. Next time. And that's what it teaches me. I'm sorry for the big long answer, but you know, I have a rough time with, with reviews on my movies, but most people who see them in my movies, enjoy them. 
So I mean, yeah. I've sat in screenings and watched people stare down at their like press screenings and sat down and watch. I watched somebody from one of the major newspapers just looking at their iPad. They were barely even watching the film, and uh-huh. then their review came out, and it was like five ten lines. And you're like, what? You didn't yeah. even watch the film. I I was asked earlier today by a by a British film producer, so he private messaged me on Twitter. He said, "Is there any chance you could put your review for the film that I've done on IMDb because there's a, like a there's a troll campaign against it?" So I went on to IMDb, yes. and it's just like loads of one star reviews. And you looked at all these reviews, and you think that could be for any movie. This film was terrible. Yeah, I, I didn't interest me. Terrible acting. Awful cinematography. You haven't even mentioned one aspect that shows that you've watched your film. It's, uh, it's well, it's interesting you say that. It's, I, I tell you about that troll campaign because that's very interesting you mentioned this. We found the Reddit post about Rogue Warrior where they said this movie has got too many, too many six and eight and ten star reviews. This weekend we're going to attack it and we are going to give it all one star one star reviews. We found the Reddit post and there's a, there's a whole group of people who go out there and do this. And they actually, the movie's doing too well or too popular. They will attack it. And we literally screen grabbed and found that Reddit post. So it actually does happen. It's maddening. More than do you not think it's like. maddening though? Because it's like, unless these were one of these celebrities that you spat on, because you mentioned you could spit on somebody and it would be a celebrity. So unless it's somebody you'd spat on <laughs> that, that has a, a genuine grievance with Mr. Neil Johnson, it's like, why would the average so-called film fan go, yeah, I'm going to join in this troll campaign. It'll be fun. I don't understand the time wastage. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. bizarre. Don't get it. It is. Do you remember, Rob, at Sci-Fi Wales, I think it was like the first one or the second one, where somebody actually bothered doing a little video clip or something going, I went in, I was there for five minutes and I just left. There was nothing to do. And then Rob and I sat <laughs> and we had a conversation going, well, you could have wandered around all the celebrities. I know that takes at least half an hour to go around all them. You could have watched all the wrestling stuff that he'd put in there. That would have taken however long that took. I wasn't able to see the wrestling, but there's a big old wrestling ring and everything there with a bunch of re- Darth Vader wrestling somebody, didn't you, at one point? Uh, yeah. you, you could have looked at all the props. You could have, you could have sat in the cafe and had a bloody hot chocolate it would have taken you 10-15 minutes but it's like you've just gone it just it's mind blowing I don't people need to just chill out and be happy and, and just smile a bit more <laughs> they are crazy worse when you find out that it's somebody you actually know that's left you bad reviews oh you've um, not had that have you I've had that no. yeah oh me too no. me, me too <laughs> Well, a filmmaker that's nice as pie, and uh, I found out, yeah, they put one star review on IMDb on on abduction. Oh, uh, oh, that's what well, I found out who it was through a friend, and I'm like, I haven't said anything. I've just like left it, and I'm like, you know what? I'll leave it there because karma will come back. It will. So. You let me know when their next film comes out, Adam. I'll uh, I'll, I'll watch it and review it for them. <laughs> It's like, oh my, that would probably, I don't know if it would be heartbreaking. I think I would be definitely a little bit hurt going, right, well, I'm not sending you my films anymore. Yeah, no, it's, it's bad when, you know, you're in the same, you're supposed to build each other up in, you yeah, know, awesome. independent and not yeah. ripping into each other. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't, I don't get, some people are just twisted. It's yeah. weird. It's kind of like that in the podcasting world On with some podcasts. You'll get some, and I listen to quite a few different podcasts, but some podcasts will never mention another show's name because they don't want you listening to somebody else's. And I don't give a crap. It's like, I'll mention, 
you know, post game report or open forum radio or angry mail. Go listen to them. Fine. If you don't listen to my episode, and you listen to one of theirs. I'm okay with that. I don't get paid for this. I don't make any money off it. I'm all right. I'm good. I like recommending other people's work, but some people just they don't they have a real my. You know, it's us versus them. So it's, it's a it's a strange strange mentality. It's a very miserable, I think, attitude, isn't it? A miserable existence, yeah. you know, if that's they're going to go through life as ripping people apart, it's yeah. sad. It is indeed. So, what are you working on next, then, or is it you can't really, you, you no shooting things planned? You're a bit like me, you're just sitting in a holding pattern, aren't you, at the minute? So, what are you working on, Adam? What? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I've just been watching um, a few, I've been watching um, American Wealth in London the other day, and I've got the um, Beware of the Moor book. Yes. Um, it was, uh, is it Paul Davis did? And I've just been reading through that to kind of get me, my head in the genre of werewolf film to start shooting my, well, I've got to get, I've got to um, do casting. I've got a few ideas for casting. Um, I need to storyboard it, that kind of thing. But um, women directing and doing the camera work as well, I tend not to do the storyboarding. Um, it's records huh. in my head, so I just kind of like shoot as a, Scenes, um, I can't draw for shit. I wish I could, or I would storyboard my yeah. next one. But yeah. I'm a graphic designer, so oh, if I draw no excuse then. <laughs> yeah, I'm really I can draw like um, you know, get me a poster of the Ghostbusters or something like that. I can copy it so it looks like a photograph. But if I've got to draw a scene or something like that, I can't do that. So what I do is I make a shots list yeah. and I kind of like do timing and stuff like that, right? from left to right, pan, 43 seconds, and I do all the timing in each scene and um, put bullet points and on the script. And I just, I have my own way of doing things and it, it works. So, um, yeah, I've just been um, getting my head into the, uh, into horror films because um, luckily where I live in Bailden, we have um, the moors um, literally about 500 yards from my house. Okay. So, Sandy. man. Yeah. It's very happy, and the, the visual that I've got is the flight of that get um, um, killed by the whale. It's absolutely the scenery is just fun, phenomenal. It's just I'm so lucky to live where I live. Um, so I'm kind of shooting on my doorstep. Um, so yeah, I just I just give myself a kick up the ass. That's all I need now because it's I think with the lockdown and everything, I made some silly short videos um, through lockdown, like lockdown skits. And just to keep the you know the the creative um, juices going, um, but yeah, I'm just I think I don't want to rush it because obviously I'm not like with Neil, he's you know he's got studios and there's a lot of money involved because I'm doing it myself. I've got that time to take, um, so I could it could be like another six months before I start shooting. But I just want it to be right. Of course, time. I don't want to force you know forcibly make the film. So um, yeah. I've got to. Um, I've got a lot of stuff to learn. What? Because I'm kind of like with, with abduction, for example, one of the the scenes where my son, that's actually plays um, the boy that gets abducted in the film. There's a scene in that where it's uh, two and a half seconds where he's being taken by the ship um, just before it cuts, and that little scene took me about ten and a half hours to do because obviously I was making the visual effects as I go along because I didn't know how to use After Effects properly, so. I'm kind of learning as I go on. So, I think yeah. as, I'll, as are we all, I think. Neil's like, yep, I'm still learning stuff too. I'm still learning. Yeah, same here. 
Can I ask which, uh, Adam, which moor? Is it Il- are you on the back of Ilkley Moor by any chance? Ilkley Moor is about 10 minutes from where I am. So, yeah. Oh, man. I shot there recently for the Time War. All it's, right. Uh, so near the Cowan Calf Rocks. Yeah, it was very misty. It was one of those days when the, the mist was up on the hill. My, my dad actually used to play in Ilkley Moor as a young boy. So, Wow. So you see that the airiness of the, for the werewolf film, it's just... Oh, it's wonderful. Except they've got graffiti on part of the, part of the rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it would be wonderful. See, now can I ask about the book? You said there's a book about American Werewolf in London. What, what's, what's this book? This book... It's called Beware the Moon. I saw on, um, it was on Instagram, Simon Pegg had been um, gifted it by Paul Davis. And it was Simon Pegg that was just do, put a video on and he was doing a flick through and he had um, Bad Moon Rising playing in the background. And I was, it was just flicking through it and it's like he's got the storyboarding, it's got everything, you know, about um, Griffin Dunn getting, he was quite depressed when he was having his makeup done. And it's more of a detailed look into the making of the film. Wow. You know, um, Rick Baker were doing the visual, he was doing the prosthetics for a Steven Spielberg film called Night Skies, which never got produced, but at the same time he was working on American Wealth in London. Um, and obviously Spielberg trashed that, he can the film, and uh, Rick Baker were a bit peeved off really because he'd uh, spent hours, well, days and weeks making these um, aliens for his film. And that's when he just poured himself into American Wealth in London. So he's got all the uh, little bits of the stories that you don't, you know, you watch the making of American Wealth in London, but this is more in depth. It's really cool. And uh, it cost me about twenty four ninety nine or something like that. Wow. I'm just trying to, trying to find it on, um, on IMDb see, and whatnot. What's well, on IMDb? I saw yeah. some. I saw somebody has made a full-size werewolf from American Werewolf in London, like a full-size prop version. And you can have that thing standing in your living room. Oh, I like, see. Yeah, yeah. It'd be incredible. It scared that bejesus out of anyone who comes to the door. <laughs> oh, i got to tell you, guys, i got to tell you something I'm going to do, and I'm telling you this, but nobody else will know this. Um, so I have a full-size – I have a th- two – full-size creature costumes, you know, with the full full latex rubber costumes. Um, now, in the area where I live, they have these doorbells called ring doorbells, which are like basically doorbells with video cameras. Um, and people are posting videos of people stealing their packages and raccoons mm-hmm. coming up to the door. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dress up because I'm behind a you know, special community behind gates. I'm going to dress up as an alien one night and I'm going to start running around all the ring doorbells and just like, you know, just glance at the camera and running away real quick and see how many of them. So if any of them suddenly, you know, become trending, like somebody got an alien on, it's me. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know I'm doing this in advance. It's going to be a couple of weeks. Well, Rob, you've got one of those sort of door cams. Have you ever seen anything strange on any of your door cams? Well, I've got the. I've downloaded the footage uh, several times uh, where the goats have visited in the night, kind of been uh, munching the plants in my front garden. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's goats, I think. Yeah, it's definitely strange. <laughs> I think somewhere Rob and I will probably make a movie about goats in North Wales. <laughs> Who knows what's going on with that? But, yeah, that'll probably happen at some point. So, uh, so Neil, what are you working on? Well, I know what you're working on because because uh, I know what you're working on. But what can you what yeah, can you what say working you're working on? 
Um, well, I'm on chapter four of the Time War, which is hour number four. Um, it's, uh, a, I mean, Adam may appreciate this. So it's shot in 6K resolution on the red camera. Um, and we're f- editing, doing the VFX and editing in 6K and 5K uh, for a 4K master, and it's all HDR and everything. Um, it's about, I think in total it would be about 10 hours worth of content, but all mastered in 5K resolution, which is more than 4K, of course. And uh, the hard drive system, uh, let's see, I'm... Uh, let me try to count them. Hang on one. There's 20, 50, 60, 7, uh, there's another 70, 85, 85 terabytes of data <laughs> you say plus the backup. No, oh no, no, 85 terabytes plus the backup plus a safety backup of everything. Um, and, you know, the computer power to just try to render this is, is ridiculous, but I have a system and it's working. So... Um, that's my life for a while. I'm also, because I get so inspired by other people doing movies and very annoyed that I'm not shooting and I am a lens whore and I'm obsessed with cameras and everything and lenses. Um, I'm actually possibly going to do a, in, in between this, you know, just like a, I'm going to call it this a weekend project, you know, so every Sunday I'm going to do a day or, or, or so, uh, another movie, which is a prequel movie set in the Rogue Warrior universe, but very, very different. I can't say anything about it, but it's going to be a spaceshipy thing, of course, and, and um, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to do another movie. And when when I when the, the Rogue Warrior TV series comes out, which is all shot, um, this movie can be integrated into that, but I'm going to release it beforehand. And uh, just because I need some, some uh, I need some street credibility, because I've had nothing come out properly in four years. So I'm actually also going to try to squeeze in a movie somewhere fairly soon during post-production because when you sit down for 10 hours a day, you need to do some exercise and I can do exercise by going to the gym or I can run off and make a, do a weekend movie shoot, you know, which is like my day off, I'm going to shoot a film, Um, you know, and we're talking about 20 days of shooting for this movie. So it's only going to be 80, 90 minutes long. So that's my other, you know, that's my exercise for the week. We'll be shooting a film. And then keep teasing me by it, sending me little videos going, I'm at the location where they shot Starship <laughs> Troopers, or I'm at the location where they shot Terminator 2. I do love those little videos. They're very, very cool. And that's all true. Yes. And I live I live in the Planet of the Apes. And when I say that, where they shot Planet of the Apes, I can I know all the places. And I go there, and it's, it's like my local neighborhood. So that's, that's wonderful. And, yes, I do drive past Vasquez Rocks and see uh, – you know, the, the Star Trek scene where, the, where Kirk fought the Gorn. I've mm-hmm. driven past that maybe a hundred times. So I know, you know, I see it all the time, but which is basically the planet Falcon or it's the planet something, something in Star Trek. Actually, Rob, do you know, you know, Vasquez rocks, the rocks you see in all the Star yeah. Trek, which was it also the planet Vulcan or was it just the, the Gorn planet? And what was that planet called? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's not just um, kind of where Kirk fought the Gorn. I'm sure they've been there many, many times. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't tell you anymore. Uh, 
I do need a short video of those rocks at some point, Neil, to add to my uh, collection that's building up of film locations. And then I'll send it to Rob, oh, and I'll be like, Rob, what's up? And he can educate me. Well, the interesting thing is every Star Trek fan film goes to these <laughs> rocks. Yeah. So you can't go there anymore without running to a Star Trek fan film being shot every, every day of the week, literally. I've seen five of wow. them. You know. Popular rocks, I'm guessing. So, yeah, it's a thing. You know, those big sideways rocks. And as I said, I saw it in the latest Star Trek more, the, uh, the the reboot Star Trek movie as well. It's the same thing. It was the planet Vulcan. It's just getting so boring seeing those rocks in every every Star Trek-y type thing. It's like, okay, the whole the whole universe is it's made up of these rocks that are on a weird angle, you know. They will, know, they will probably be known as the Star Trek rocks, I think, before long, rather than Vasquez rocks. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's already that. You go there and they've actually got a board of and they have a list of all the movies shot there and it's Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, and it's it's quite it's quite nice. It's very very easy place to visit. So when you come across mm-hmm. to it, I'll take you there. Brilliant. I will. Uh, that's probably where I'll do the majority of my uh, filming experience in the location. Movies is on that trip. Yes. So Rob, what are you yes. working on other than Gold movies, of course? Um. Websites. Yeah, website, websites, <laughs> websites are a thing. We all sort of met up with each other technically because of our website. So, you know, shout out mm-hmm. to websites. Yeah, websites. Wales. What, what's been the best thing that everybody's watched this week? So, Rob, what is the highlight of what's the best movie you've watched? Um, oh, it's, it's tough. I have watched uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I've watched it twice, actually. Um, but I'm going to go off on a tangent and uh, pick something I usually would never pick. It's a movie called A Week Away on Netflix. Um, and the best way I can describe it is called is like high school musical with a religious twist. Okay. Oh, no. So, yeah, it, it's, it's very odd, but, but it's a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, it's not something I would usually choose, but, um, uh, that, but, it, but, you know, for everybody else, Godzilla vs. Kong, I thoroughly enjoyed. I love, um, kind of the, uh, big Titan, uh, movie. So, now, uh, with, with that film, with this newest one, can you watch it without having seen the other ones recently? Cause I've only ever seen the 2014 Godzilla. I haven't, and I've seen, I've watched Skull Island as well. So I've seen that one, but not for a while. I haven't seen the previous one. So. Yeah, you can, you can watch it. Um, there'd be no problem whatsoever. Um, me and Addy, the second time sat down and watched it together. She's only seen uh, Kong Skull Island, yeah. uh, and she thoroughly enjoyed yeah. it. So I don't necessarily need to go back and rewatch them all in the correct order. No, way. but if you have seen kind of um, some of the original um, Godzillas and, and King Kongs, and uh, well, especially when they've clashed in the uh, in the good old days, um, there are some kind of nice nods to uh, to things we've seen in the past as well, mm-hmm. which uh, was good to see. Cool, Adam. What's one of the best things you've watched this week? You're probably going to say Poltergeist, are you? Because that is a classic. Mm-hmm. Well, this afternoon I watched Poltergeist and then I watched Ghostbusters straight after that. But um, for the first time, you'd probably be surprised at this, I bought it on Blu-ray um, the other day. Uh, Prince of Darkness, <gasps> John Carpenter. Oh, what did you think? I love that movie. Well, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really weird, yeah, but it was really good. It was really insane the whole way through. And it's like, I, I love the fact that he uses the same actors in all these films, like Big Trouble in Little China and... They live and 
it's just yeah, it was. It was. I was surprised because it's just one of them that I just I've never seen that film. So yeah, I just thought I'll get it. Just they remastered it on Blu-ray, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to get that because I bought um, Christine um, the week before, yeah. so I've just sat on Blu-ray. That's one of my favourite Stephen King yeah. films, and I watched The Mist as well, oh, which was a horrendous. Ending. Oh, it's an amazing ending! How dare you, sir? <laughs> Bad time, just so bad timing by seconds. Like, yeah. oh my god, just brutal. But yeah, so now I said uh, Prince of Darkness is the best of all. Nice little cameo so. by Alice Cooper in there as well, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Neil, have you actually watched anything? Have you been too busy making movies for us all oh. to watch? Oh, I watch while I work. So um, this will sound really weird, but I am binge watching Top Gear. Oh. Because I'm missing England. Yeah. I know, but it's on in the background and I'm not really watching it. And I keep, you know, I have a sports car fetish and I haven't, uh, I don't have one. So I watch that and that's okay. If, if you've, got a, if you've got a bit of a sports car fetish, watch David Cronenberg's Crash, which would be a, which exactly. would be a really recommendation for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the thing I've really enjoyed this week uh, was actually. An Evening with Beverly Loughlin. Now, this is on Netflix. Uh, I actually had to buy this movie. I, the first time you watch it, you think it's so strange. But the second time, it's the funniest thing you have ever seen. I mean, seriously, I was I nearly wet my pants. I was, I was laughing out loud. I had tears in my eyes watching it the second time. I don't know why it's funnier the second time. That movie is absolute genius. And most people hate it. It's got the worst reviews. I have better reviewed movies than this movie, but this film is genius and I absolutely love it. And I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I completely, completely love this what, movie what, and I'm going to have to watch it What is it about? Because I'd seen you tweeting about it and it's like, <laughs> I have never heard of Beverly Loughlin. So I don't know whether it's a documentary, whether it is actually an evening with, and you, you know, it's her on stage <laughs> answering questions or whatever. I had genuinely have no clue other than the fact it made you laugh. Um, have you ever seen Flight of the Concords? Yes. Okay, it's the same type of humor with, as that, with a, with a similar group of people, some of the same actors. Um, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's basically Beverly Loughlin is this, this big black American guy who's actually Scottish. Okay. <laughs> but he speaks with an American accent or something and sings um, folk music. And there's this woman who's obsessed obsessed with him, and I, I don't know how to explain this movie. You've just got to watch it, and then you're okay. it's it's a proper comedy, you know, like Anchorman or something. It's very well put, beautifully shot, by the way. You know, it's a proper movie. Netflix had buried it because of, I don't know why, <laughs> but it's is you know it's a Netflix movie. But it's 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 just all I can say is watch it. And then you'll understand. And if you watch it and you hate it the first time, watch it the second time, you might enjoy it more. And I was confused the first time. Second time, I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I would I would say it's one of the best movies I've seen this year so far, really? even though it's the second viewing. Wow. Yeah. I should um, try and watch it before uh, but next I can't week's the episode for you. It's just, it's just the most off-the-wall comedy, and you probably have to have a twisted brain like mine to enjoy it. But, you know, I, it's so up my alleyway. I just Rob, love it. is your brain twisted? <laughs> Uh, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Mine is as well. So I'll try and watch that one. I'm a bit stuck on my favourite film of the week because I've got an old one and I've got a new one. So the the new one is Promising Young Woman, which is just amazing. 
so if, if you like your psycho- psychological thrillers, do check that out when you can. It's uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you any more than that, but it's fantastic. But my old one is Convoy, which I've just finished rewatching probably a couple of hours before we started talking, and oh. I put it on the projector and watched it, and I had never seen it before. So she she knew the song. But beyond that, she thought the film was going to be a comedy. It's like, well, it's kind of funny bits in it, but it's generally not a comedy. It's a Sam Peckinpah movie. You're not going to get a lot of laughs in it. But thoroughly loved it, and it looked amazing on the big screen. I'm getting real into this projector thing, which thank you to Rob for uh, for making me dig the projector out like a year ago and watching That's all these the tr- classic films. That's a track movie, it isn't is it? indeed. Chris Christopherson, Ali McGraw, Ernest Borgnine, Burt Young whole bunch of people oh i'm i i've met i've met two of those which people. two have you met i'm i'm guessing i'm guessing um burt young and chris no nope. not burt young you've not met ali nope. mcgraw i have what, are you allowed to tell your ali mcgraw story i just i have a picture with her oh, somewhere on to get out um she was a lovely human being and was trying to make, you know, asking me what I was shooting next. And it was, I was thinking, hmm, I, what can I do, you know, <laughs> to put her in a movie? She was a really nice human being. That's, that's about all I can say about her. Um, 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 who was the other one? Oh, yeah, Ernest Borgnine was by accident. Oh, I pulled so up. Obvious. I know. It's funny. I, I pulled up in the Hollywood Hills somewhere and I was trying to get a shot of something and I accidentally pulled up out front of his house and he thought I was paparazzi and he saw me <laughs> and ran. He just ran. Did he run? <laughs> so he ran flat. away, did he? He oh, ran away. No, you made Ernest Borgnine <laughs> run away. That's, that's, that should be the title of your autobiography if you're right. What I made Ernest Borgnine run away. Exactly. <laughs> I run with George Takai and I chase the way Ernest yeah, Borgnine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I nearly got in a fist fight with, uh, I won't say who. <clears throat> and that should be the continuing title of your autobiography. Oh, yeah, if I ever write that book, I won't, some things I won't write till somebody, some people are dead. Yes. But yes, I've had a few uh, um, near alterations with some famous people as well, but we won't discuss that oh, today. That could be another <laughs> show. <laughs> And if anybody wants a funny film on Amazon Prime, My War with Grandpa, starring Robert De Niro, I have not laughed so much at a stupid (laughs) film in absolutely ages. It's fantastic. Prime are just knocking it out of the park with their exclusives. They're doing a lot better than Netflix, other than obviously My Evening West, which you mentioned, but My War with Grandpa was so funny. Very very juvenile, very stupid, brilliant. You, You agree, Rob? I do indeed. It was uh, family film night on the projector uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, yeah, lots of funny moments, lots of laughing out loud. To, to sum it up, nice. to sum it up, seeing somebody sort of secretly swap out Robert De Niro shaving foam with actually solid sealant <laughs> is uh, just—you uh, will wet your pants. So it's, it's very, very mm. good. So, uh, what's everybody got planned for the coming week ahead, Rob? Um. More movies and websites. More movies and websites, yeah. Um, Uh, Neil, more editing for Time War? No, I'm actually running off right now. I'm about to run out the door and shoot religious acolytes in the street for the Time War. That is a phrase I've never heard before, so that is really good. Adam, what about you? What's what's, uh, coming up for you? Yeah, well, I'm taking a couple of days out at the minute, so I'll be just watching more films and then back to work on Wednesday... So that'll be uh, fun. Um, yeah, 
that's me. Same, really. I'm <laughs> back to work on Wednesday night. I'm taking a day or so out tomorrow just to sit and catch up on some films and do a few reviews and all positive reviews, I might add. I don't spend time writing crap ones. What's the point? And uh, I've, I'm going to sit and watch Day of the Jackal tomorrow, which I picked up on Blu-ray. Oh, I've yes. not seen that film for ages, so that will be my projector uh, film coming up. So. That is good. Well, uh, so, Neil, Adam, you've kind of virtually met now, so that's... Rob, our work here is done. Yeah. We can just we can quit now. We've, we've kind of done it all. <laughs> so there we go. All we've got to do is get Marvel and DC fans together and the world will be fixed. <laughs> so, but you... That may never no, happen. Probably never will happen, will it? But we live in hope. So, will you guys enjoy your evening? Thank you very much for taking like yep. an hour and 40 minutes out to have a good old Jim Wag. And, uh, and I shall chat to all of you at some point very, very soon. Yeah, nice to meet you, you all. Too. You too. Take care, guys. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.